Welcome to Everyday Superhero, where each week we share how everyone can be a superhero, one world changer, one loving and positive thought at a time. I'm your host, Vanessa Canavero, and I'm ready to dive into this week's podcast adventure. So buckle up and get ready to dream big always in all ways. For show notes and to find out a bit more about me and my coaching practice, my speaking engagements and all that fun stuff, head on over to thedreambiglife.com. See you there. Hello, Everyday Superheroes. You guys have a super great treat today. My guest today is a fellow Canadian from Moncton, New Brunswick, and I am so excited to have her on here because she has a story of courage, and she's sharing that courage with so many people now, and I just love it. So welcome today, Nancy Legere. Hi, thank you. <laughs> it's awesome having you here because, first of all, you're a fellow author, which is amazing. And you're from Canada, which, of course, I love. I love, of course, all superheroes. But if you're from Canada, I just love you a little more. <laughs> just a little more. <laughs> so, Nancy, you have a very powerful story. And you've turned that story into a book called Life in the Shadows. When we spoke earlier, you had said that you'd written the book because of therapy. So can you share what happened when you were seven? Yeah, sure. Uh, I, have, I was raped by a neighbor at the age of seven and it pretty much changed my entire perception of what life would become or my outlook on life mm -hmm. and um, it took me many 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 years to even talk about it or tell anyone about it and the book came to life as part of of therapy because i had decided that the only way that i would ever deal with it was if I brought charges against him. And I decided to do that after I turned 50. So there's, there's like 43 years there of never talking about it. And I wasn't sure how to even put my story into words. Mm -hmm. And in order to be able to do that, I, I, the only way for me to do that was to write it. And that's, that's how I started. Well, and it's so, it's that, first of all, that's so brave that you, you did that because I can't imagine the feelings and thoughts that it, it drug up as you, but you use it as a, as a form of healing for yourself. Yeah. Awesome, right. That's awesome. Yeah. And awesome. And was that a suggestion from somebody who said, Hey, you should write this all down or. I always knew that I was much better at writing than I was at speaking or talking. So it, it was a form that was always easy for me was writing. So I went into therapy to help me get ready for this discovery hearing because I knew that it would bring up things that I didn't know how to handle, that I wasn't um, equipped to handle. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I, I couldn't talk to her. I, I just couldn't, I, I would go into her office and she's the most amazing therapist I ever had. But I would go in there and I would sit there and I, she would ask questions and I would just freeze up. Mm -hmm. I, I was not able to access that part of my brain where all of this information was stored. But if I sat down and wrote about it, I had access to it. You think it was, so, because it was more private for you writing it down rather than saying it out loud? Like would it have been more private? There was no emotion attached to it when I would write it. That makes sense though. So it, I was detached. It, it was like I was from looking, on, I was on the outside looking in. Mm -hmm. 
So it wasn't as though I was sitting in front of somebody and trying to put emotions to it or trying to contain the emotions that were attached to it. So I would send her that by email. And so that's how she gathered all the information. And eventually we were able to start talking about some of it. That's something communication via email because it was easier for you to, to verbalize it, I guess, right through written word than verbal. verbalized. Yeah. That's incredible. That's incredible. So, so you had said too, when we had talked earlier that you wouldn't have been able to heal unless you could verbalize it. So that's something. So what were your thoughts when you were writing? Like, what were your thoughts when you're like, okay, I'm going to speak up. I'm, I'm going to, you know, confront this, I guess, and confront, confront the man that raped you when you were seven. What was your thoughts behind that? I, I thought that if I could do this, voice my story uh, in, in court or in discovery in front of, of people, in front of him, that I would be empowered by that. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the case at all. Um, and, and the whole reason why I wanted to heal from this was because I had been in a long-term relationship. And when this relationship started, I was in the relationship, but I wasn't, um, I wasn't present. Mm-hmm. And when I turned 50, I think I realized that I really loved this person. And I wanted to be able to be present every moment in our relationship because when I look back at the time, there's a big age gap between the two of us. Mm-hmm. There's a 17-year age difference. And when I would look back, I realized that we probably had more years behind us than what we would have in fr- like coming in front of us. Mm-hmm. And, and it became important for me to be invested for me to be in the moment, to be present, to feel everything, because I had never given myself that gift. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's why all of this started. You want to give all of yourself to the relationship. So that was all the yeah. that was holding you back as well, right? It was everything. Because yeah. in order for me to survive before that, I had basically shut off all of my emotions. I basically operated from kind of the logical part of my brain and, and like I, I could, I could still be compassionate and, and, and it's, it's a little bit hard to explain. I, I just. Was it like compartments? You had different compartments that you would allow to. I did. And they were very much, um, under control because mm-hmm. control is, is, is very important to somebody like me yeah. um, in, in every area, unfortunately, but I'm getting better. I understand that though, because you felt like the control was taken away from you at seven, right? So anyway, you can try to get control in whatever it is. That's what you're going to do. I mean, I, that's a coping mechanism. I get that totally. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. So going back to your youth, you said, and I've read the book, of course, it's a great book. It's great. It's very heartfelt, right? So I could feel the emotions as you're writing it. I, you know, it became part of the story as you're, as I was reading it. And you had said that going back into your youth, you said you eventually became the bully in school. So can you kind of explain what led up to that? And then why, why did you become the bully? By the time I got to grade seven, I had switched schools one, two, this was my third school. 
going into grade seven. And by the time I got there, half of the, the friends that I had had in elementary school had gone to another school. So there was like half and half, like half new people and half some I knew. And so some, some, some of the girls there decided that they were going to let me know that it, I was on their territory. And <clears throat> so I turned the tables on them. I, I became, <clears throat> basically I became the bully and people just left me alone. They just didn't approach me. And by that time I was at an age where I felt very different mm -hmm. than most people. It's almost like I felt like I was labeled um, and, and certainly felt that I was very damaged. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that just gave me, I guess, the, the, the cover that I needed so that people would just stay away from me. Like a barrier, right? People will stay yeah. From you yeah. I didn't actually go and beat up people, but just my luck, mm -hmm. uh, because I was, I was, I'm not a small woman mm -hmm. and, and I could have this very intimidating look that I can't seem to do anymore, but mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it was there for years. Mm -hmm. So it just, it just kept people at bay and people knew like, you just don't, you just, don't come near me because fancy, right? Like, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And again, another coping mechanism. I mean, which is is natural, right? It kept me safe. It kept me in my bubble. I could see that. I could see that. So, was it around this time that you started drinking? Because you had said that you started drinking around the age of thirteen, I believe, right? I was twelve when I when I had my first drink. Mm -hmm. um, so that would have been that would have been in grade five, I think five or six wow. um so yeah no that, that i had already been drinking for a little while at the time but not on a regular basis uh, i it became a regular basis more towards uh my late uh 14 early 15. Mm -hmm. um, that's when the, the drinking really became almost a daily part of my life and how did that affect your teen years like your high school years that kind of stuff it kept me alive really as much as alcohol made me numb mm -hmm. and uh it, it kept me alive because i would have certainly have committed suicide mm -hmm. because that's how much i felt that i didn't deserve to live that i i just was not i, I was damaged beyond repair and that if anybody knew they wouldn't like me anyways so alcohol kept me alive. Isn't that something? It's heartbreaking. Because you said at this time you had flashbacks, right? Um, you were having yeah. nightmares, that kind of stuff too, PTSD, right? That, um, yeah. But I didn't know what it was at the time. No. I didn't realize that that's what it was. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I used to have uh, night terrors. Even when I was, I think, 11, 12, 13, I, I would wake up and I would be awake but I could still hear the screaming of, of my night terrors wow. and alcohol helped me to ease that. Not realizing that, you know, I, I, it was an addiction and, and very much a coping mechanism for me. And the people around me didn't realize until I was like 15 that I was actually drinking and had a, an issue with it. Mm -hmm. but there was a problem. Yeah. 
So what was dating like for you at this time? I guess throughout your life, what was dating like? Pretty much non-existent. I tried just because I wanted to fit in, um, but I had no interest whatsoever. I, I have still to this day, I have no physical attraction to people. Uh, that for me died when I was seven. It just, it's non-existent. But I, I was trying to fit in and, and I tried and I wasn't very successful at it. And alcohol created a lot of issues in that area because it put me in situations that I shouldn't have been in and, and put me around people that I shouldn't have been around. So yeah, dating was a disaster. And I just, you were trying to play a role, the role of a teenager or the role of a Yeah, and, and I just right? know how. I just, because I, I didn't like, I didn't want people touching me. Mm -hmm. So it made it quite difficult to, to even date or try to date. And you know, I, I just had no interest. And confusing it must have been as well, right? The confusion that goes with that. You're trying to play a role. Why can't I fit into this role? You're like, why isn't this working, right? Why am I different that way too? Like that would just well, yeah, it just reinforced what I already thought of myself, you know, that I was damaged and no good. And, you know, I, I deserved everything I got. And like, it, it just, it just compounded mm -hmm. and every little thing that would happen would just add to it. And it would just, it just grew to a point where, like I said, without the alcohol, I would have committed suicide. First of all, you know, with the book, the fact that you wrote it, um, I think it's really going to help. And I'm sure it is helping a lot of people who have been through something similar, but just understanding that the feelings that you had of wanting to put up walls, right? Not being able to, to form relationships, not being able to have those feelings the same way, right? That kind of stuff. I think it's, it's, I think it's really awesome that you're putting that out there so people understand that that's okay. You've gone through it too, kind of thing, right? It's not something that's, you know, crazy or anything like that it's just part of the coping i'm guessing right that would be yeah well when i wrote my story i i was never going to publish it it wasn't you know no i i had no intention get it out kind of thing out of you right and that's why all of that information is there because by the time i decided that well maybe i should publish this book i didn't want to go and edit all of this stuff out mm -hmm. even if it made me uncomfortable and made me extremely vulnerable I thought, no, that's, that's my story. It's part so of you. it's, it's part of you. So I, I left it there. When you actually decided to say, okay, I'm going to publish it. It's, it's scary enough. I mean, because you know, I, I write fiction, right? So um, it's scary enough just putting yourself out there, you know, your pretend world out there, but let alone put out your life out there for people to read. So it must've been a like, oh my gosh, okay, well, here we go. I'm doing, I'm doing it kind of thing. And there it is. Well, that's kind of how I do things anyways, because I, I was talking to the, the, the lady, uh, the social worker that works with me to help me through the trauma. And she said, I couldn't believe it because she said in January of the year that I published, my, I published it last year, a year ago, actually. And uh, in January, I had told her, no, I'm not publishing it. Like, I'm just I'm just maybe going to print a copy for myself. Mm -hmm. And, but no, I'm not publishing it. But by the end of February, I had an editor. My book was edited actually. And I had the cover, I had hired somebody to help me with the cover and, and, the, and the front and back cover. And I had hired somebody to pull it all together 
to upload it to Amazon and by early April it was out there. It just happened. It's like, okay, well, here we go. I'm not pulling this, you know, it's going, it's going through the hill now. We're just going to let it happen. Oh yeah. And then after it was like, oh crap, what did I do? What did I do? <laughs> Too late. Like, it, it was out there, you know. <laughs> what was the reaction from your family and friends then? Um, had they, had they most, a lot of them had read bits and pieces of my book mm -hmm. because as, because it took me three years to write it. And uh, as I was going through it, um i allowed some some people in my life to read it mostly my family because my family knew very little about my life mm -hmm. it must have been scary and, for you too then i guess you know having your family read it because it reveals things you've been hiding right yeah 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 and 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 it was really difficult for them to to see all of that because they knew so little because i had basically kept my entire life a secret from them. Mm -hmm. They knew bits and pieces. They knew the drinking because that was so obvious. But for them, while I was growing up, they just figured that, you know, it's just, you know, the teenage years, mm -hmm. she'll grow out of it. Uh, they didn't realize what was underneath it and, and what was fueling it. So, yeah. And then they didn't really know much about how I had struggled with suicide for so long. And, so yeah, it was it was a big eye opener for them, and <clears throat> certainly brought the whole family unit closer. Mm -hmm. They put the puzzle pieces probably together, you know, when they were reflecting on back to your childhood and stuff. Probably kind of made the connections. Okay, well, this kind of explains it, right? Yeah, because they remember a lot more than I do mm -hmm. because of the drinking and and even like the PTSD. There's there's a lot of gaps mm -hmm. and. But what this discovery hearing did for me is it gave me access to a lot of information that I wouldn't have had. I had access to all of my medical records uh, dating back to, I think, the early 80s, mm -hmm. which I wouldn't have had anyways. But And that helped me to establish timelines because I would, I would, remember, I would remember a surgery and and everything surrounding it but i i couldn't tell you when the surgery was mm -hmm. or how old i was and uh and and i remember being hospitalized for being a danger to myself mm -hmm. but i couldn't remember the the quite the the specifics around it or the dates or anything like that so that helped me establish a lot of the timelines mm -hmm. for my book and helped me put everything kind of in in the order that it needed to be in so yeah, that like, was that, that was good. When you got those records, you're like, okay, so it kind of, you know, because it kind of filled in again the missing pieces for you, I guess, right? It was kind of a relief. When, you had when I first got them, I was embarrassed by them. Because of the notes and stuff written? Yeah, because of everything that I could see in there. And, and my because of, of what all of this has done to me, th there's an awful lot of shame mm -hmm. and embarrassment. And my first thought was, oh my God, I really was screwed up. The evidence is there on paper. Because I mean, I had surgeries that were not necessary, but for me to survive, they were. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm talking like the breast reduction surgery, the partial hysterectomy. These were all, I, I had all of my top teeth removed mm -hmm. because I couldn't stand the texture of food after I sobered up. 
And so I had all of these drastic surgeries done because I couldn't stand my body. Mm -hmm. And, and wow. I needed to erase. You're trying to escape from it. Is basically yeah. Escape. Is yeah. Something? Okay. So you're talking about sobering up. So recovery, tell me, tell me how the recovery came about for you. What was that like? What was recovery like? It was relatively easy getting sober. Um, once I got sober, but, uh, because I just kind of went into a trance almost like I, I, I was this type of person that, that if I made up my mind, it was done. Mm -hmm. And when I decided I was done with drinking, I was done. That was it. Lights, the switch has been flicked. That's it. Yeah. And, and I did the same thing with smoking. When I decided I was done smoking, I was done. Mm -hmm. I, I don't ever crave it. I don't ever think about it. It's just, I went through the routines. I, I mean, I did what they told me to do in Alcoholics Anonymous and, and, you know, I got the sponsors and, but I never talked to them. Mm -hmm. Like they, they loved it because they got to talk. Like we would travel like uh, to different cities for meetings and conferences and stuff. And they would get to trap to, to talk for hours because I would just sit there and, and not say a word mm -hmm. that that was just me. Like, so for 12 years in recovery, I basically never said much of anything. Mm -hmm. I was just the listener. Everybody liked having me around because I was the listener. You were the good listener, <laughs> but I stayed sober. Um, although most people didn't know or didn't realize the struggles I was having because once, once I took away the alcohol, then I got flooded with the PTSD, with, with the flashbacks, with the nightmares, and I wasn't equipped to deal with it at all. And that's when the suicide came back with a vengeance and I was hospitalized for being a danger to myself and eventually found my first psychologist. It took a, f a few tries because not everybody is is trained to deal with someone like me. <laughs> you need to find somebody to click with as well, right? Because you have to build that well, trust. That yeah, yeah, and and not everybody, even if they're a psychologist or whatever, they're not trained to deal with PTSD or sexual assault or. So it took a few tries for me to find the right person, mm -hmm. and when I did, I went to see her for four years every second weekend and the first two years i never said a word i would go and i would sit there and i used to drive two and a half hours to go see her and two and a half hours back and the two and a half hours i would rehearse everything i would say once i'd get there and i would get there and she'd say how was your week or your two weeks or your and i'd say fine and that was it. Like everything else was gone. Yeah. It, and, and I describe it as though to, to kind of give everybody a picture. It was like, you see that on cartoons sometimes or on movies where the, the, the cement walls just come down like bang, 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 bang. And that's basically what it was. So unless we did small talk, there was nothing. You could not access that part of it. But in those four years, she gave me the tools that I needed to, to actually get me through my days. Mm -hmm. and, and I kind of found a, um, a happy medium 
if if you want to call it that. Like I I was able to find a place where I was on an even keel all the time. There's no ups, no downs. It just everything was maintaining, right? Everything was yeah. Like nothing ever got to me. Nothing. It was just I would wake up every day. I would go to work. I would like it was just almost like uh, that gopher movie there. Um, where the same thing happens day after day. Oh, Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day. We reliving the same so, day over and over. It was comfortable. You knew what was going to happen next kind of thing. There was no surprise. Exactly. Kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. June 24th, 1984 is a very special day for you. You had said. Oh, yeah. That, well, that yeah, that's my sober day. That's your sober yeah. day. That's pretty fun. Yeah. That's coming up. So your anniversary is coming up for that. I never celebrated it. I celebrated my very first anniversary. And I had invited my family really? to come. Wow. And at the time, I, I'm not sure how it happened, but anyways, they, they didn't come. I don't know if they, for, I can't remember now what the reasons were, mm -hmm. but I was so disappointed that I never, ever celebrated another anniversary after that. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, congrats. It just became unimportant. Wow. Well, it is an important day, but. <laughs> well, see, and, and June the 6th is, is Denise and I's anniversary, my partner and I's anniversary, mm -hmm. the, day, the, the day that we decided that we were going to have a life together. So when I think of June, I always think of that one first. That's a really happy day for you, right? That's a really, yeah. really that's significant. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to get back to Denise, though. Not quite yet. <laughs> so I want to hear about her. But in 1995, you declared bankruptcy. What led yes. to bankruptcy? That was crushing for me mm -hmm. because I had been uh, 12 years sober around that time and I had worked and worked and worked and worked and I had managed to, uh, I had bought myself um, a mobile home. So I had my own home and, but I had a series of three car accidents and I had a hard time with the insurance companies. So the third one ended up, there was no witnesses there or nobody would come forward and they ended up going 50, 50 and being at that age, I was still basically living from pay to pay. Mm -hmm. And that accident cost me $5,000 that I didn't have. Mm -hmm. So it was just, by this time I had found a new job outside of the city that I lived in. So I had rented my home to people and uh, they trashed it. Oh no. They, they literally trashed it. Like there was just, they damaged it so much and never paid me a cent. But it, it was, it was an accumulation of a lot of things. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I felt very defeated and I, I wanted so much to prove to my family that I had accomplished something mm -hmm. and all of a sudden it was gone. So yeah, that, my ego took a, a real beating with that, but it was probably the best thing that ever happened. Looking back, mm -hmm. it, it gave me a chance at a brand new beginning and, and it, it was the best thing that ever happened. Wow. So you have some, yeah. a terrible thing like a bankruptcy, right? To turn yeah. it into something positive though, because a fresh start. Well, because I had put so much into material things that's what to me would define my success mm 
-hmm. And all of a sudden it was all gone. So literally it meant nothing. And even today, like I would have no problems walking away from any of my material possessions because they're, they're just here to make me comfortable, yeah. but they don't define me. They're just things, right? They're not, they're just things. Fancy. No, yeah. no. Wow. So there was a lesson to be learned there. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you learned something, you know, you took something positive from it. Yeah. Right. And you moved past it. That's, yeah. That's awesome. So you said you had issues with intimacy and dating and then you met this amazing person named Denise. Yeah. So tell me about what happened. Like, tell me, tell me about that. What was the, how did you meet her? Kind of what was the, how did the relationship? We, we met in a coffee shop in a corner store where I had just moved back to my hometown after declaring bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't, I was still a bit embarrassed because of course it made it the local papers. So anybody then, that published bankruptcies and papers back then, right? Yeah. Yeah. So anybody that knew me or my family would have known and it's a small town and you know, everybody talks. And mm -hmm. so I, I had found a little apartment and uh, it was close to this corner store. And I used to go there every day and I would have a coffee and read a paper. And uh, I got to know the clerk that, that worked there. And she actually is the one that introduced us. And that was in April 18th, actually. And the 6th, like how everything happened, I have no clue. But the 6th of June, she actually left her husband and moved in. And we've never, ever looked back. That's something. You know, so it's moments that just show up all of a sudden, right? There's no plan, no rhyme, no reason. You're not expecting it. You weren't looking for a relationship. Not at all. I never expected things one. Things come when you don't expect them. The things you need. Isn't that just crazy how life works? Yeah. And I think this was one of the first times where I didn't question what was happening. I don't think I had time to question what was happening. Mm -hmm. It just happened. And then it was there. And it was, our relationship was so easy. It was like we had been together forever. And very shortly after we were together, she she bought me this uh, this really nice picture. It's it's upstairs on the wall, and it's it's a Dr. Zeus saying, and it says, uh, "To the world you are one person, but to one person you are the world," yeah. or something to that effect. Yeah. And I always remembered that. I always always remembered that. And she was the only person that never she never expected anything from me. She never expected me to be any different than what I was. She just loved me for who I was. Didn't ever think I was damaged or less than or, and she helped me to become the person that I am today. Isn't that wonderful? Oh yeah. Yeah. She just, you're, you're Nancy. She saw Nancy, right? Yeah. The real you. Well, I didn't even know who the real me was. And at times I still don't. Well, that happens too. I mean, it's true, right? I mean, yeah. part of, of living in general, I think too, but wow, that's awesome. I'm so happy Denise came along. <laughs> so, did. so you guys, in 2006, you moved to Alberta, you moved to Edmonton and yep. then back to the East coast, back home. Yeah. So what happened when you moved back to your hometown? You actually moved back to your hometown again. Yeah, we stayed, we stayed in Alberta for exactly a year to the day. And uh, I loved it there. 
because for me it was total freedom i can still remember the day we left like we as soon as as i got on the plane and i was sitting in my seat i just i had the big tears rolling down my eyes and i wasn't crying it's it was a relief that for once i would never have to look over my shoulder again mm -hmm. because he was still living in the same city at the time and i ran into him often oh really that must so this to me was like really like and 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 i was going to be able to for the first time be whoever i wanted to be nobody knew me it was a fresh start mm -hmm. and uh, so we went and but because of the 17 years difference it was a really big adjustment for my partner mm -hmm. uh, her kids were were back east and it just her friends all of her lifelong friends were east and and so it was harder for her mm -hmm. and and she wasn't adjusting very well so that's why we decided to come back but i knew that coming back would cost me mm -hmm. emotionally it would cost me because all of the de defense mechanisms that i had when i left new brunswick they were gone because you didn't need them anymore. Nobody didn't them. need them anymore. New, right? it was brand new. So I was coming back and I wasn't equipped to deal with anything that was going to come. All the flashbacks and, 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 and the PTSD and like the nightmares, all of that came rushing back to a point where I just, I couldn't, I was so stressed. Like I lost all my eyebrows and my hair was falling out. And that's how strong the stress was because I mean, it didn't matter where I went uh, and, and, it would happen almost every time, whether it was grocery shopping or even just going to Canadian Tire. Denise would be with me and she'd look at me and she'd say, well, what's wrong? And I'd say, he's here. I can smell him. I know he's here. I can feel him, but I couldn't see him. Mm -hmm. And I would just turn sideways and he'd be at the cash one over from where I was. So this was like a constant for me. It had just, everything was, was, was raw mm -hmm. and and i and i didn't know how to deal with it mm -hmm. so i became extremely depressed and that's when i made plans to leave bathurst um, i took some contract work in uh, Yellowknife, and i wasn't planning on coming back mm -hmm. i had put all my affairs in order i had made sure denise would be fine would be taken care of and i wasn't planning on coming back mm -hmm. but that's not what life had planned for me yeah, per se, life doesn't always have the same plan you have, right? Yeah, yeah. Wow. So how yeah. was Denise, you know, dealing with this stuff then? I mean, what was it from her perspective? Did, did you guys talk about that kind of stuff? Like She didn't, she, I, I never allowed her to see that. Hmm. She just, I, I was that good at covering up. Mm -hmm. you, you become a master of it. Yes. Because that's why your life, you, you were covering everything, right? Yeah. Wow. And yeah. Back to that again. So the answer body, you know, it's self-preservation. That's yeah, that's what we do. So, okay. So in 2015 is when you started thinking about filing a lawsuit. Yeah. With the man who had raped you when you were seven. How did that, how has the whole process played out? Oh God. Uh, there was two of us actually included in the lawsuit. So, um, cause he also abused my younger sister that, that same night. So she came in as, as a co-plaintiff uh, 
and uh, which kind of reinforced our, our lawsuit. And, and we didn't go after him as a criminal law, uh, lawsuit. We went after him uh, as a civil lawsuit because that gave us a little bit more control over how things would happen. The, if you went the criminal lawsuit, the, the prosecutor basically decides everything. They take your story and and they go with it and they determine what's going to happen and 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 I and I knew that I wouldn't be able to handle that. Mm -hmm. So we went the civil way and and we got a lawyer and and he was excellent. But we're not we're we're in a very legal system. We we're, we don't have a justice system. Mm -hmm. And this dragged on for months and months and years and years and years. And it was very taxing on me. Uh, every time that the discover hearing would near the date that we had chosen or everybody had agreed on, I, I would work that much harder with uh, the people that I had around me to, to help me deal with this. And then it would be postponed. So it was like, so you know, it was like it, it, everything it, up again, right? Bring it all up again. And then it'd be postponed. It's like, Oh God, I got to go through it again. Yeah. Like, so the amount of stress was, was unbelievable. And finally in October, 2018. Yeah. We had our first discovery, which was I, basically I was being interrogated, um, for two days. Um, stupid stuff and and just you anything to humiliate you into thinking that oh my god like i shouldn't have done this like it was I regret following through you know trying to make somebody accountable for what they've done right and make you feel bad for coming for like that's how it's ridiculous it's ridiculous yeah like it is but up to that point i still had not actually spoken about my story oh wow and yeah because we, we had come to the decision that I couldn't force it. And once I would get to the discovery, if it ever happened, I, I, I knew that I could just get it done. Mm -hmm. I would walk in there, I would get it done and I would pick up the pieces after. Mm -hmm. And when, <laughs> on the sec, the first day of discovery, I had no problems because he talked about all kinds of stupid stuff that had nothing to do with any of, of what this guy had done to me. And on the second day, we were in it for about half an hour and he said, he just looked at me, his lawyer. And he said to me, he said, okay, tell me what he did to you. Tell me the story. He's like, well, tell me what you did after school yesterday. You know, when you played it, you know, yeah. like seriously, like, wow. Yeah. So, so I started, but I don't, I, I think I wasn't, well, not that I wasn't ready for it. I, I, my voice really started to shake. And, and so did my hands, but I didn't notice. My lawyer noticed and his lawyer noticed. And they both looked at each other and they said, okay, I think we'll, we'll just take a break here. We'll just take a quick break. And, and so I remember going to the bathroom and, and I looked in the mirror and I never, ever, ever look in a mirror, ever. But I looked in the mirror and I said, you can do this. And I was shaking and, and I was on the verge of tears. And I said, no, pull yourself together. You can do this. I don't remember anything after that, except we were walking out of the court courthouse and my lawyer said to me, he said, you rocked it. And I said, well, I wish I would have been there to see it. 
<laughs> You're on the outside, right? You didn't need my, my defense mechanisms came up. Yeah. I got the job done, but I don't remember doing it. So that, that's how powerful the mind will, can be to protect you. And, and I'm grateful for that. But eventually what happened is, is just before Christmas, I ended up walking away from the lawsuit. Uh, from this discovery hearing, it dragged on for another year, um, and they were just nothing was ever going to come of it. Um, they were picking at stuff. Uh, we were going to have to get all of my records from all of the psychologists that I had uh, consulted with throughout the years, uh, all the professionals. Uh, they wanted all of their notes, all of their written notes, they wanted everything. And I mean, you go into therapy. And they tell you that everything you say here will stay here. It's privileged information. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not. It truly isn't. And it's not the fact that there was anything said there that would have hurt my case. It's that it was making me so vulnerable mm -hmm. to know that this man was going to have access to every thought, everything that ever went through my mind that, that I said or wrote or did like and I, I couldn't do it plus they they were going to uh, bring in other people into this lawsuit that didn't belong in there they were going to ask a judge to bring in other people because there was a second assault later on when I was older and they wanted to bring in this person as a as a, as a third uh, a second defendant type of thing mm -hmm. Because they were saying that, well, fine, if my client is guilty, so is this one. So they should share like 50-50 type of thing. And mm -hmm. it, was, it was blowing into something that I no longer needed or wanted. Mm -hmm. uh, the whole process had given me the healing that I needed. Mm -hmm. So for me to keep going uh, would have just added on a, a layer of stress that I didn't need. Plus, it would have dragged on probably for another two to three years. Mm -hmm. And even had we won a judgment, collecting it would have taken probably another two to three years after that. Mm -hmm. So I never did it for the money. I did it because I needed to find a voice and I needed him to know that I knew, that, you knew. that, you that I remembered and that I was here and I wanted him to see me. Yeah. And I've accomplished that. Because everybody in the city, it's a small city, it's 7,000 people. And I swear to God, everybody there has read my book. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because my father tells everybody. Everybody he can come across, like he'll tell. And, I mean, they even had the same barber. So he told the barber. And the barber got my book. And so everywhere this guy goes, he's going to wonder for the rest of his life. Like every time he looks at somebody. Do they know? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, so it, it like he's been crushed by it physically. Mm -hmm. uh, he's had like two back surgeries since being served with the lawsuit. That's how much it weighed on him. Oh, wow. Like literally because mm -hmm. he was fine prior to that. Wow. So, yeah. So, I mean, he's, he's, he's got to live with it now. It's, it's out there. Mm -hmm. um, he can deny it all he wants. People will, People that have read my book um, have all been supporters. 
and and it's it's been amazing mm -hmm. that's good yeah. yeah and again you've given people the freedom to come out and say you know things that have happened to them probably right it helped build the comfort in your community to say that kind of yeah thing, right? yeah unfortunately my story is not unique mm -hmm. and and but not everybody when you look for books often it, they're written by professionals and and they're not often written by the victim mm -hmm, from the perspective or the survivor yeah so the the yeah their perspective is different and it's not technical it's not clinical it's a fact yeah it's yeah so mine was was yes very raw yeah. but it was what it was it, it was the story it was you know it, it there was no technical terms anywhere in there because i don't have them mm -hmm. so it, it was it's made an impact i i've i've heard from a lot of people um they, they they've gotten back to me saying like oh my god like you you've told my story thank you so much like I, I don't feel you know so different anymore and because we all feel different and yet we're all in the same boat what what is how does that feel for you when somebody comes and says my gosh this is my story this happened to me how does that feel for you when somebody confides in you that way just feeling powerful I, I don't feel like I've done anything exceptional. Mm -hmm. Like to me, I just, that was my story and, and I published it and now I move on, I'll do something else. And like, I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't like to be seen, Yeah. but yet I go and I write a book, like, really, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, bravery, I mean, that's brave. You don't want to be seen, but you put everything out there. Right. And the fact yeah. that they come to you and say, this is my story and they can connect to it and they understand it and they're. They're feeling the freedom to say something. I mean, that is that's life changing for so many people. Yeah, and it's changed a lot of people's perception towards me. Mm -hmm. And and at first, that used to really annoy me mm -hmm. because I used to say, "Well, okay, so you've you've read my book, and now you think I'm strong and courageous and resilient." But last week, I was the exact same person, and you didn't think that of me. So I, I, I still at times fight with, with that, like to try to reconcile that because I mean, that's just the way people are. Like we judge people without knowing ever what their story is. Mm -hmm. And that's the one thing that I always try to remember, no matter who I meet, I, I don't know whether they're lawyers or doctors or, or clerks or janitors, or it doesn't matter to me what they do. I just make sure that anytime I ever come across somebody that I actually acknowledge them mm -hmm. because everybody needs to be seen. Absolutely. I believe that everybody needs to be heard. Everybody wants to be seen. Everybody does. That's just what and, and it made a difference in my life more than once where, you know, like you're, you're at the grocery store and you're, you're just trying to get through that day and, and you're thinking to yourself, like, if I can just get home and that bottle of pills is there, I'm just, that's it. I've had enough. Mm -hmm. And then you come across somebody and they look at you and, and they nod and, and, and they smile and, and you, and you step back and you go, Oh, yeah. like, Oh, like maybe I matter. Yeah. So that's, that's the one thing that is extremely important for me today. That's the message that I always want to tell people is that you matter. It doesn't matter who you are. 
where you come from, what money you have, what money you don't have, you matter. Like you just, everybody matters. Everybody matters. And you don't know which one thing you're going to say is going to change somebody's life. Yeah. Or Cause it changed mine. Yeah. It saved mine. Awesome. I, I have a lot of what I call earth angels because they would just pop up when most of the time I didn't want them because I had other plans and they were not very good plans, but they would just pop up and, and acknowledge me, let me know that I mattered. And I, they would take me through my next journey, wherever that would lead. And then I would meet somebody else and I, it's, it's been an amazing journey. And, and that's what I wanted in the book, I wanted to acknowledge a lot of these people that had made such a difference mm -hmm. because they saved my life. That's something. Amazing. You never know whose life you're going to touch. That's right. You don't know. You don't know. It could be in passing. Somebody. It could be somebody you've met and, and that they'll be in your life for months or years or a day or five minutes. You just never know. No, that's true. Yeah. So you've donated over 100 books to women's shelters across Canada. Yeah. Why is this important to you? Like, this is powerful. It's powerful that you've done that. Why is that so important to you? I didn't write the book for the money. I wrote the book because it's important that, that people realize that they can heal. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm not a specialist. I, I'm not a therapist. But I can almost guarantee you that 99% of the women that are in shelters have experienced sexual assault. And, and I think it, they're there looking for help. And, and for me, it was just to offer them a lifeline. Mm -hmm. Gives them a voice too, right? I mean, yeah. A voice by yeah. your book. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So, so oh, no, go on. And I just wanted my book to be in places where it would make a difference to maybe one person. Yeah. That's awesome. So do you do public speaking and such as well then? Do you, will you go in and talk at women's shelters? Not yet. No, I, I think I, I mean, being on a podcast is, is, is big mm -hmm. for me, uh, being in front of people. Um, I'm not quite that comfortable yet because mm -hmm. I still have to, I still deal with a lot of anxiety and, 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 uh, that might be there for, for the rest of my life. And, and I'm okay with that. Uh, I'm okay with, I don't look at anything that's happened to me as a disability. I don't look at the PST as a disability. I don't look at my sleeping patterns as a disability. I just adapted my life around it. Mm -hmm. And it's basically called self-care. I, I have a very funny um, sleep pattern. I'm usually up at four o'clock in the morning. My day usually starts at 4 a.m. Mm -hmm. And because I, I don't sleep that much. And I do much better than I used to, but I'm okay with that. So in order for me to accommodate that part of my life, I set up my own business. I work from home because I could no longer function in a nine to five office environment. It was becoming too hard for me to do that. So I, I've just basically taken all of these so-called issues and have turned them around so that they I, I can work with them and, and they work for me. So, but yeah, the anxiety and, and the flashbacks and 
the triggers, they'll probably always be there, mm -hmm. but I'm becoming much more comfortable in, in dealing with them and handling them. Mm -hmm. They don't scare me anymore. Wow. So it takes the power away from it. Yeah. It takes the power away and it gives you the power back. Yeah. Right. Because I mean, you can you see it happening or whatever, and then I'm sure you've got coping mechanisms in place that you've adapted, right? That kind of kick in automatically. I'm guessing. Yes and no. Like being in the moment is not something that comes naturally to me. I have to work at it all the time. Mm -hmm. But I've 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 adopted a lot of things that bring me back to or ground me or, or kind of take me out of my head. And a lot of it has to do with nature and. I spend time with uh, the little creatures that I have in my backyard and, you know, I, I feed them and I've got squirrels now coming up looking for peanuts and they'll, they'll eat it right out of my hands. And, you know, I, I had Charlotte, the, the, uh, the, the wild pheasant that came and it, it just, those things mean a lot to me because it, it lets me know that if they trust me, it means that, that my, energy is calm mm -hmm. my energy is safe so it's it's almost like a reassuring thing so but i'm not one to do meditations or i hate having to do that <laughs> it, it really angers me having to do things because it doesn't come naturally mm -hmm. i'd like to be just able to just go and, and be happy and and everything be well but yeah I'll probably be in therapy forever. Like it's just, you know, it, and, and that's okay too. And, and I have my group of, of professional women that I, that I decided to put together in 2015 when I was going to do all this, I needed to make sure that, you know, I had, I had the help there. So I, I see all kinds of holistic practitioners, uh, whether it's Reiki and, you know, the reflexology, acupuncture, massage, like whatever it is that I need, I get. Mm -hmm. I just, I make sure that that's there for me. So it's important, like you had said. Yeah. Yeah. So and they all know my story. Yeah. That's, and that's good too, right? I mean, because they can yeah. understand. So how do people find you and how do they find your book? Uh, my book has Life, Life in the Shadows has its own Facebook page. And I've just recently set up... Um, an internet page for it. I don't quite know the address of the internet page. Like a website or? Yes. Okay. I have a website. It's with worldpress.com, but I, yeah, I'll send it to you and you can, yeah. Cause it's got numbers in it. I wasn't able to, to actually choose my own domain. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah. And then do you have, you know, if people want to contact you or anything like that, you know, about your book, about, other podcasts possibly is there an email address or something or would you like them to connect with you through the facebook page or what is your actually the website has everything on there yeah awesome and you'll send me that information i can include it all in the podcast notes so people can find you. oh cool awesome well thanks so much nancy this has been amazing and oh thank you for so having me for, on well thank you so much for sharing yourself because you've shared so much of yourself now with the world just been writing the book, right? And it's bound to change lives, which is awesome. And you are an everyday superhero, which is amazing. So thank you so much. Thank you. Awesome. So thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Remember to dream big always and in always. I love you and we'll catch you on the flip side. Do you know a superhero should be featured on the Everyday Superhero Podcast? Hook us up. Send me an email at 
thedreambiglife at gmail.com.